Good morning, podcast listeners. This is Pastor George here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. So glad that you're tuning in. It's just about Thanksgiving. Less than, what, five days away? We have so much to be thankful for. I pray that you're really thinking about all the goodness, all the good things that God has done for you throughout this last year. Yeah, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for most all of us. But you know what? God's providence has always been there. You might be thinking providence. huh? I, I, I learned in school what that meant. Providence is that God is working behind the scenes in your everyday life. There are things going on. There are things happening around you that it's the hand of God. And at, at the moment, we don't see it. We don't know it. But later, we can look back and say that could only be the hand of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week in chapter 23. Um, I, I won't spill too much of it because I, I want you to wait and hear the sermon. It's going to be a really good one. But just to let you know, next week I won't be here. I'm heading for, my wife and I are heading for uh, Idaho to see my son and family and grandkids and, and his new home. Uh, so we're heading out Monday morning early um, and we won't be back until the uh, following week sometime. So I won't be here next week. My very dear friend Jim Reville is going to cover me. I, I hope that we can figure out a way to record it. See, I always use my phone to record these things, so maybe I can talk him into using his phone too. But anyway, uh, if you won't hear my voice next week unless I put out a little blurb from Idaho. And I may just do that. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving. And always think of him and, and praise him and thank him for his providence in your life. Amen? Amen. The message is going to get started in a second. We're in Acts chapter 23. We had seen last week in Paul's defense, his apologia, the second riot took place at Paul's own words. It was when he had said that he was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the crowd went crazy. They went nuts because that's not what they wanted to hear. He had been speaking in the Hebrew language, not so the commander that was there and, and these soldiers couldn't understand him, but so that he could get the attention of the Jews who were basically trying to kill him. So now this Roman commander wanting to know why or what Paul had done to create such a riot, he held him until he could get everyone together. Inevitably, Paul's going to wind up being held for over two years. And he hasn't done a thing. This chapter is really very interesting, and I, I read it through the first time. And I said, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do with that? Because there's nothing really happening in chapter 23, it seems. There's no big theological uh, discoveries and no revelation brought up. It just seems to be gospel narrative. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with that? 
And it's interesting how the Lord shows me things. The first thing he said to me, he said, remember that movie you watched you were so impressed with? It's not a, a spiritual movie or a gospel movie, but it's a good movie. It's an old one now. It's called uh, The Peaceful Warrior. I don't know if anybody ever seen it. The Peaceful Warrior. There's a point in, in the movie where the older man, the mentor, was trying to explain to the young man, there's always something going on. And he didn't believe it. And he grabbed him by the shoulder and some kind of power, like power of the Holy Spirit, opened his eyes to see all the things that were going on. And that's kind of what's happening in this chapter. And I said, Lord, I think I was missing it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because there's always something going on. So let's dive into it. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain, I've taken you back to 2230 just to, to set it up. He wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews. He had released him from his bonds. Remember when they had him bound at the whipping post and they were going to whip him? So he released him from that. And the commander of the chief the chief priests and all their council to appear. He commanded that they all have to appear, and he brought Paul down to set him before them. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Have you ever gone through something that at the time it doesn't make any sense to you? Am I the only one? <laughs> but later you look back. And tell me I'm right, Tom, because later you look back and you can see the hand of God. It's like a thread that's being weaved throughout our lives. And at the time, it's like, this is terrible, God. This is terrible what I'm having to go through. I don't see you. It's all right. It doesn't mean I'm not there. Amen. I'm there. How about the things in your lives that are just uneventful? Just uneventful. And later you see that thread, that supernatural weaving of his way through our lives. Well, it's kind of like what's in this chapter 23. It seems so uneventful. But we have to pay close attention. There's a supernatural weaving that's going on in this chapter, in, in their lives. And God gives us the opportunity to see it if we just pay attention and see that he's... He's directing us like a great orchestra leader. You know, he's, he's orchestrating and moving. I'll move this one over here and I'll move that one over there. And it's happening in your lives every day. And he wants us to see it or at least acknowledge it. God, I trust you in this situation. This is hell on earth that I'm suffering with, but I trust you. Because there's, it's, it's your hand. In this, and, and it actually has a name. Do you want to know what it's called? God's providence. I remember learning that word. Could never read it, but I remember learning it. Providence is an interesting word. It's a definition of providence is preparations for the future. Preparations for the future. A, a fugal manager. Or a divine power. Example, back in the early days of our country, homesteaders saving food in cans for the winter as an example of providence. 
They want to make sure we all operate in providence every day in our lives. We're always, it's either we're saving for our retirement, we're saving for our kids' college, we're, we're doing what we have to do to protect our future. Why do we do that? Well, could it be that God created us in his very own image? We're more like him than we were willing to admit? Because we're always interested in our providence, in our futures. It'd be foolish not to prepare for your retirement. It's important that we prepare for these things. We're all operating in some form of providence in our own lives, trying to prepare for our part. And this is a place where I, I'm going to take the time, whether y'all like it or not, I'm going to share with you a couple of stories of God's providence in my life. Because I couldn't see it. And actually, I wrote it down because Joe's always telling me, write it down. Because there'll be a day that you might not remember. And you need to write these things down. It's so important. And when you see this, it's going to open your eye. You're going to go, I've seen God working in my life, and I didn't know it was him. In 2010, I resigned my position as pastor of a church plant that I call Lake Ridge Community Church. There's a few of you here that were part of that church. Raise your hands. Yeah, quite a few. I wasn't retiring, you know, because I was tired and old, even though I'm old and tired. But it was because I had a problem in my family, and it was affecting my ability to lead properly. But I fought it. I was very frustrated over the situation because I felt like I was being forced out, but I see now something so totally different. It was God's hand moving me. I absolutely loved with a passion, and if you guys know me and you listen to me, I love what I do. I love it. I can't imagine doing anything else. If I'm not sharing the gospel with you, I'll be sharing it somewhere, in a prison, in a jail. I don't care. I love doing this. I love studying the word. I love seeing the revelation in the word. God has put it in me, and he's put it in you too. But I couldn't see his providence in this. It was probably early in 2011 that we moved my mother back in with us. How many of you have been caretakers for your parents? You know, grandparents and parents. Yeah. And my mother was at that place, and so I moved her in with us. And it wound up being a perfect situation because it gave me, it wasn't the present wife I have now. It was my past wife. I'll explain that in a second. But it gave her some responsibility to help care for my mother. So it was a perfect storm as a sort. But I was feeling really bad. I can honestly say, looking back at this point in my life, the relationship that God had provided me with my mother was proof of his providence. She was not just my mother, but she wound up becoming my very best friend. And I could speak to her the things that were turmoiling inside of my heart that I couldn't say to anybody else. And she'd patiently you remind me of her, Chris. And she would say so patiently, sit and listen to me. And I would tell her, I said, here's my problem. If you want to know, because she'd say, why are you unhappy, son? God's given us this great house. It has a little apartment that I'm in. Why, why, why are you unhappy? And I said, because I'm probably never going to be a pastor again. 
She said, well, how can you say that? Now, well, it's pretty easy. I'm old. I don't have a theological degree in anything. In fact, I mutilate the English language, to be quite honest. Nobody's going to hire me. She looked at me so earnestly, and she said, well, let me just talk to the Lord about that, okay? I smiled and said, okay. Two days later, two days later, I'm going down. It's like it was like a split-level house. It was only like six steps down to her little apartment. I was going down, taking her dinner. And she said, oh, the Lord gave me a dream. I can't wait to tell you about this dream. You got to hear this dream. Okay, Mom. What was your dream? She said, God has already prepared for you a place, and it's brand new. Okay. And she goes, you know what? You're not going to have to worry about buying sound equipment. You're not going to have to worry about, you know, new carpeting or getting chairs. You're not going to worry about it. It's all provided. It's all there. I seen it, and I seen the people. She seen you. I smiled and said, well, Mom, where? She goes, well, I don't know where. It could be in Texas for all I know. I just know that God has prepared it, and I've seen it. And I said, okay, thanks, Mom. Praise God. God bless you, little thing. And I go up the stairs, and she goes, what? Wait, wait, there's something else, and you won't like it. Okay, that got my attention. What won't I like? And I turned around, and I looked at her, what won't I like, little woman? And she goes, it's got pews. It's got pews, and I know you. You hate pews. I do. I like chairs, okay? Because you can rearrange them, and you can, you know, I could, I could put them like this way, make you guys face each other. You know, but it's got pews. And I said, all right, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. Then I'll know it's you. It's God. She said, okay. She passed away in 2014. And never got to see this place. But just before she passed away, see, my wife had passed away in 2012. I'm kind of not feeling I should read my notes. I wrote it down. But my wife had passed away. Sudden heart attack took her out in the night. And so now it's just my mom and I in the house. And then she fell down, broke a hip. You guys been there? And that was the downhill decline for her. And it got to the point I couldn't take care of her. Had to put her into Avalon. And uh, that was a rough time. But I couldn't see God's providence in all this. And I had met Joe. I'll tell you about that in a little while. I had met Joe. In fact, I took Joe and introduced her to my... I think you met her first at my house. Yeah, because she hadn't been in the rest home yet. And, and so she knew that I was dating someone. But she didn't know anything more than that. Because there wasn't a whole lot to tell. That's, we were just dating. We were friends. And uh, then she was in the rest home, and she started to deteriorate. But before the day that she had a stroke, that day before, she said, are you going to ask Joe to marry you? And I said, Mom, I don't know. It's kinda, you don't want to rush things like this. I mean, maybe. I'm, I'm thinking. She goes, you have to ask her to marry you, and you have to do it now. Why would I have to do that? Well, because I want to know before I die that you're not going to be alone. And I said, Mom, come on, that's a mother's heart. Amen. I said, I'm not going to be alone. I'm not alone. 
I have lots of friends. She was right. I was alone in my spirit. So I asked Joe to marry me. My mother's fault. (laughs) I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And that very night, my mother had a stroke. And Joe came into the room and told her that George asked me to marry her. And we're not sure she didn't respond, huh? I don't think she responded, but she kind of whispered it in her ear so she would know. And that day she passed away. The Lord took her home like it was was time. It was her release. So after her passing, Joe and I got married. It's 2014. We moved to a little house in Tuolumne. And Joe said, well, we got to go find a church. And we had bounced around. I went to her church. She was going over at uh, Calvary Chapel. Pastor Miles still says I stole her away because he knows that she sings. And, uh, but we're great friends. And we came over here. Now, no disrespect, but I wasn't happy here. I sat about there where, where Tony is and played with my phone a little bit and listened and told Joe, don't you tell him you play the piano. Don't you tell him that you play the piano because I didn't want to leave a place and leave a hole. I'm, I'm, we're floating around, you know, looking for a home, a place to rest. And God knew that this was happening. He knew that, that I was, had an anxious heart, so he fixed that. He put me under heart surgery, literally. Laid me out. I didn't have a heart attack. A doctor said, you have to have an aortic valve change or you're going to drop over dead any minute. And then he said, by the way, it can't happen for two weeks because the doctor's on vacation. Great. Now I'm walking around going, any second, I'm going to vapor lock and just hit the floor. Bye, honey. I'm not going to. He said, it could happen in a hospital. Nobody could save you because that valve will just shut or stay open one or the other. It's done. So I prayed and prayed and prayed over it. And the Lord said, my hand is in it. Lord, I don't understand. You can heal me. You created this heart. You can fix this heart. He said, no, I I have a plan. His plan was to lay me out, to settle me down. This little church, you all were praying for me. And I didn't even know you. I mean, I sat over there and met you. I didn't even know Andy yet. My wife would come home because she would say, I talked to Andy today. He likes Volkswagens just like you. And I'm going, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, but I don't know who Andy is. But the Lord had a plan in all this. And I couldn't see it. I didn't know. And yet, I don't think he wanted me to know. Because we change things. As human beings, we tend to change things if we know too much. And as his providence was... I think in 2016, she so boldly told Kathy that I preached. She'd never heard me preach for a day in her life. In fact, I almost didn't marry her once because I was going down to a church to preach in Turlock, and I asked her to go, and she said, no, I'm going to go to my church. I almost ended it, honey, almost right there, but, you know, I stuck in there with you because of the prophecy. And so... They approached me and said, hey, Kevin would like to some help. Would you like to preach? And I said, yeah. And so I did. 
And after maybe helping out here and there, Andy came to me and said, hey, the elders and I are thinking about creating a position. Would you consider being an associate pastor? And I said, well, I guess the Lord has a plan for me here. Oh, okay. And uh, so I was associate pastor here for a while. Still didn't see. And then I began, my heart started getting excited because I'm back at the pulpit preaching and I go, I need to do this. I need to lead a church. This is what God has called me to do. So I started searching for churches all over the United States. I found out that Baptist churches, there's a shortage of pastors. And I thought, surely they'll hire me because I've been preaching in one. That didn't work either. Tried, tried, tried. And then we eventually we found out that Kevin wanted to retire. And he did. He retired his position from the church, which made it open for me to apply for the position as your pastor. While we were going through that process, now it's about 2018. Remember, it was 2011 when my mom said she saw this church and she saw you people. Now it's 2018 and all of a sudden I'm walking around the church and it dawned on me. I looked at these three different colored pews. I mean, it's terrible. Three different colored pews. I thought, in a beautiful building like this, three pews. Pews. And I ran and got Andy. It was in the morning like we do. We meet before. I said, Andy, come here. Come here. Come here. When did you guys finish building this church? And he goes, um, 2010, maybe 2011. Somewhere right in there. Oh, my gosh. Y'all got to vote for me now because my mother saw it. She told me that I was, that you, you were building this for me. And Andy goes, no, not exactly. No, exactly for me. Because God's providence is there to take care of what, what you're going through. And we don't see his plan. We can't see his plan. Why? Because I would have changed it. But here we are in God's blessing. And I told you I'd tell a little bit another providence story about my wife and I. You know, I had been, I told you earlier about, you know, Martha prophesying that the Lord was going to give me a wife that played the piano and sang. And she said quite proficiently, totally freaked me out. And oh, no, she's the one. And she was the one. But before I met her, I couldn't figure out how I was ever going to meet the one that the Lord prophesied that I would meet. How's that ever going to happen, Lord? And the Lord said to me, it's called E-Harmony, son. E-Harmony? I don't do online stuff. What are you talking about, E-Harmony? Lord, well, that's not you. That's... So I went online and looked at E-Harmony. Oh, that's easy. I can do it for one month. I'll prove it to you. What I didn't know in his providence, she had been on E-Harmony for an entire year. Did you meet anybody in that whole year? Didn't meet anybody personally the whole year. So she was done with it. That's stupid. I'm not doing it anymore. She called him, said, cancel it. I paid for a year. It's over. A year's up. I'm done. And the lady says, oh, oh, Mrs. Dorr, we'll give you one more month for free if you just stay. Let us keep your profile up for one more month. I just have a feeling there's someone out there about to join that's going to see your profile. Can you do it for one more month for free, and then we'll cancel it and not charge you another thing? And she goes, well, if it's for free. That was the exact time that I logged in. 
and I met her through eHarmony. And then when I met her at Starbucks where we agreed, I took one look at her and said, no, nah, she's too sophisticated for me. <laughs> and, and hey, she has a master's degree in child psychology, education, early childhood development, and she reads books. Jim, she reads books. I, don't, I just learned how to read a few years ago. What are you talking about, Lord? What are you doing? But his providence, his providence. And it doesn't mean, I, I, it's, it's almost noon, I haven't even said verse one yet. I'm sorry. And his providence is so real, it's so positive of what he's doing in us. We can't see what God is doing. We can't see, but he's working. You just have to believe it's by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, amen? It's not what you look at, sweetheart. It's not the situation. God is doing something that you can't even imagine what he's doing. Anyway, verse 1. <laughs> Acts 23. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Well, was Paul saying that he had lived a sinless life? No, not at all. He was saying everything he had done, even including participating in the death of Stephen, he did it thinking he was doing what God had called him to do. In good conscience. Yes, it was good consciously wrong. But it was in good conscience. I was doing what I thought was right. All my life I have done what I thought was right. And another thing, you got to pay attention. He said, men and brethren. This immediately fired the council up. He's standing in front of 70 men of the Sanhedrin. He's supposed to refer to them earlier. If you go back just one or chapter before, he, he introduced them as men and fathers. People I renown, people I, my fathers in the faith. Now he says men and brethren, which he's saying in his little sarcastic way, we're equal, we're brothers. Because most of these guys on the Sanhedrin were probably guys that he went to school with. He knew these people. And the high priest, Ananias, and this is not the one who healed his eyes back in, in chapter 5, but this is a different Ananias, and this guy is not a good, good guy. He's, he's, a, he's a Pharisee, he's a Sadducee, actually, is what he is, and he's not a good guy. Commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And I'm sure they did. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Man, that makes me feel good. For you sit and judge me according to the law, and do, and, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? I got to say it. The first time I read that, it made my flesh feel good. Just jumping bad. Man, that's my flesh. And Paul was dealing in the flesh here too. You know, what did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Let him slap the other side. Well, Paul ain't Jesus, and neither am I. And he was being very sarcastic. Verse 4, it says, And those who stood by him said, Do you reveal God's high priest? They were scolding him. They were railing him. And Paul said, I do not know, brethren, 
that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. So Paul here is one or two things. Commentaries say all kinds of things about this. I think he was being sarcastic. I didn't know he was a high priest. Paul knows. He knows who these people are. He knows who's a high priest. Or maybe he didn't know and he's saying, hey, I'm sorry, I'm apologizing, I didn't know. I think he was being a little bit arrogant of the fact. Different people have saw it many different ways. Others thought Paul used these words purposely as mitigating them to their wrath. Well, let's look at it at verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. Oh, this man is so smart. Verse 7. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Verse 8, for Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or Holy Spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Verse 9, and there arose a loud outcry. The scribes of the Pharisees, now understand, each Pharisee had his own scribe that's writing everything down. Kind of like a, you know, a guy in the court that sits over there, what do they call those guys? Yeah, like a recorder. They're taking care of all this. So the Pharisee or the, the scribes, they rose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Man, is Paul smart or what? He used those two personalities against each other. And it worked out. It was brilliant. It was an absolute brilliant moment. Now when there, verses uh, 10, now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled into pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him back to the barracks, which is the jail. But the following night, the Lord stood by him. Understand, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Came to him probably in a dream, Maybe was physically there. I don't know. The Bible just says, The following night the Lord came and stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So Paul has complete confidence of God's providence and what's going on because I'm going to Rome one way or the other. You guys set me free, I'll go to Rome. You guys want to take me to Rome, take me to Rome. He knew that he was going to Rome. Verse 12, And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath. You guys know how important an oath is to them. That they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. How long will they go without water before you die? Not long. Three days? Something like that? I know, you know, food, you could probably go longer, but without water, it's not good. Now, there were more than 40 of them who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will not eat nothing until, notice they left out the drink, until we have killed Paul. 
Verse 15, now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down tomorrow so that we can question him a little further. But we'll be there ready to kill him before he comes near. So Paul's sister's son, that kind of opened my eyes. I went, wow, nobody told me Paul had a sister. <laughs> well, why couldn't he have a sister? We don't know about Paul's life. When Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. I didn't know that Paul had a sister. Some say it could be a sister in the Lord. Now, I believe it was his sister by birth, probably from Tarsus. Where did they send Paul? Here, to be trained when he was a young man. Probably his nephews following in Paul's footsteps and there in the city being trained. Praise God for family. Verse 17 says, Then Paul called one of the centurions and said to him, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him before the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Verse 19, Then the commander took him by the hand and went aside, asked privately, what is it you have to tell me? I got to tell you, I like these Romans. Think of it. He took the little guy by the hand. So gentle, so concerning. And they really were concerned about because Paul is a Roman. And that was their concern. And, and so what do you have to tell me, son? I, I just love that. And he said, the Jews have agreed, verse 20, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down from the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, sir, for they have 40 of them who lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by oath that they neither will eat nor drink until they have killed him. And now they're already waiting for the promise from you. Then the commander said, let this young man depart and commanded him, told the young man, tell no one what you have that you have revealed these things to me. I love these guys. Verse 23, and he called for centurions, he called two centurions. You guys remember how many men a centurion is in his command? 100. So now we have 200. He called two centurions, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, nine o'clock at night. This again, Paul's going to be escaping in the middle of the night and provide mounts to set Paul and bring him safely to Felix, Felix, the governor. Verse 25, and he wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lycerus, that's the commander here, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. He did say I almost beat him. I didn't almost scourge him. We'll just let that part go. And, I, and when I wanted to know the reason why they accused him, I brought him before their council, and I found that he was accused concerning questions of their law. 
but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartus. Verse 32, the next day they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the barracks. Verse 33, I'm sorry. Then they came to Caesarea and they delivered the letter to the governor. They also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers have come. And he commanded Paul to be kept in Herod's praetorium. I believe Paul's accommodations just got better. See, the praetorium is actually in the, the castle. It's a part of the castle where they built a, a jail portion in the castle to hold prisoners. But it's much nicer than the city jail. The praetorium was, was where the Roman proctor, uh, where he lived. It is an amazing story, and you can see that nothing greatly happened there. There was no great truths that came out. We just saw more narrative of the same story. But God is working in the bigger picture. It is so important that we see this. It's so important that we see God's hand that is just working through the Apostle Paul, and Paul can't see it. He's trusting God. Are you? Are you trusting God through the difficult times because we can't see what he's really doing behind the scenes? I can give you story after story of God's provision in my life. It was, was God's providence. He was preparing the way for my future while I was acting like an idiot most of the time, thinking that nothing was happening. Nothing was really going on. But there's always, always something that's happening in the spiritual realm in your life today. And we need to see that. And you need to share that. I know that you guys have stories. That's why we're going to get together. We're going to talk about these stories, guys, about what God has done in our lives. When at the time we could not see it. You know what would be the best part of that whole thing is you're going to invite a friend too. It's going to be such a good time that you're going to say, you know what? I need to bring somebody. I know somebody that will just fit into this group. Bring them. And we'll start sharing our stories, sharing what God's done, his providence in our lives. Because I know, because I know you all, there's some of you that are going through really hard times, really hard times. And you can't possibly see God's providence in that. But I'm telling you, as sure as I am standing here in this place, it is real. God is working in our lives. Tony, could you come on back up? I know the podcast people are saying, hey, you stopped talking. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Uh, I was carrying, carrying the pulpit around. I'm going to go ahead and let you guys go. Enjoy your day.